This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here for the next, well, 30, well, less technical difficulties, maybe 28 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask a Vet with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. So easy to get a hold of me. So uh, no excuse. Any questions, anything you want to talk about, now is the time. Uh, you know, I get very opinionated about certain things as I did last week. And uh, I, so controversial stuff. Oh, my God. That's my favorite. So um, let's get to it anytime. How do you get a hold of me? Very easy. 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can join me here live. Go to Pet Life Radio. Click on shows. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. There's a Zoom link left for you there by our producer, Mark. And um, you can join me here live, of course, on IG Live. Ask me any questions. I can't let you in on the show because what it does to the screen, it messes it all up. And trust me, if you need to get a hold of me, you want to have a, a conversation anytime, uh, you just got to uh, send me a note here on uh, Instagram and I will contact you directly. Anyway, so as you know, I like to peruse the news. What is going on in the industry? I hope some of you saw the post uh, we did uh, this week about the real difference between pediatricians and veterinarians. We are not the same. So uh, if you haven't, check it out. It says it all. Anyway, traveling, summertime. We're here uh, officially in, in what, uh, two days? So um, anyway, yeah. So those of you who are traveling, plan on taking your pets with you. There are some concerns, some warnings, and it's all about pre-planning. You need to know what, well, first of all, where you're going, how you're getting there, and what the restrictions may or may not be. So do your homework. So some of the things, if you're going to go airlines, some things to consider. First of all, emotional support will no longer work. It has to be a legitimate service animal. And they are screening because they know a lot of people are abusing it again, just like they did with the emotional support animals. And so they are being kind of very, very careful. Uh, hold on, vegan season. Various reasons, dog is totally yellow liquid poop. I already has the parasite. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Great question. So uh, it is very important to check with the airlines. Breeds. Time of day, some short-faced breeds, a lot of the airlines will not accept. Pit bulls, a lot of the airlines aren't accepting unless it goes cargo. So in the cabin, it is more and more challenging, and you have to have a true, legitimate service animal. Also make sure what paperwork they require. Some airlines now are just requiring a certification that rabies is current, and others are actually still recommending or requiring a true 7001 USDA APHIS legitimate health certificate. So make sure you always call the airlines first and find out what their uh, requirements are, because not all US airlines, if you're going international, oh my God, depending on where you're going, trust me, it may even be too late. Some countries that require rabies titers, that process, which used to be max four weeks is now up to seven or eight weeks. So <laughs> summer's almost over. So uh, I get calls from people say, yeah, we're, we're thinking of going to Hawaii. We want to take our pet. When are you leaving next week? I <laughs> give it up. It's not going to happen. Either all of you are staying home or the dog is staying home. You're not taking your dog to Hawaii in a week, unless of course it already has all these papers done, but you have to get certificate. Israel, impossible. Japan, impossible. Australia, impossible. All these countries that have the rabies requirement for not only rabies vaccine, but proof of rabies vaccine titer. There's only, I think, one lab in the US. Kansas State University Veterinary Diagnostic Lab is the only lab that runs these tests. 
legitimately for travel. So the process is gone nuts. I always joke, you could be the queen of England. You're not getting it done any faster. So um, they show no preference. They used to have an expedited now because of COVID and the backlog. They're not even doing that anymore. So no, it's not going to happen. But if it's just right now, the only good news, England, that used to be that way, since now it's officially the part of the EU, uh, EU, you know, get France, Italy, people driving, they said to heck with it. So they no longer require, of course, the rabies vaccine has to be current. Um, and you have to have at least two for adult dogs within one has to be within the last 11 months, uh, but not less than 30 days. So you really, you got to go online and you got to check all this stuff out because it doesn't make a difference. Hotels. A lot of times I say, yes, we're pet friendly. Then you show up with your, you know, 120 pound mastiff and they go, uh, no, we have a 40 pound weight limit. Ah, wouldn't that have been nice to tell me when I called two weeks ago? So yes, you'd be really careful. Ask. Is there a weight limit on a dog? Is there a breed limit on the dog? So just pet friendly by itself may not give all the information you need. And of course, you have to make the reservations. Oh, how about family? Don't show up with your dog, expecting them to be so happy that not only you're here. Now, so I said, if you have one such family and you really never want to get invited again, bring your dog. No problem. But if you want to do it the right way, just make sure that they're okay with you bringing an animal. But uh, again, because you have to check in there. Do they have pets? How do their pets get along with your pet? How does your pet make it along with their pet? Can you imagine going to visit family, bringing your dog, dogs just attack each other? Uh, it's not going to be a pretty sight. So uh, next, ooh, this is really good because we've talked about this before and I'm going to have a guest on the show coming up who is perfect for this these conversations. But you know, we talk about the unfortunate high suicide rates in the veterinary world. And we are now have surpassed, not that it's a proud thing to admit, but we have surpassed dentists as far as suicide when it comes to medical professionals. And one of the things that, you know, so many things add to it. We call it compassion fatigue. We call it the high student debt, just the expectations we put upon ourselves as doctors you know, like they, that we think they were invincible, that everything has to be perfect. And when it doesn't work, you know, there are clients that are going to attack you less than yourselves attacking you for failure. It's not really failure. You know, understand it's not one size fits all. You can do everything by the book. And unfortunately, that pet didn't read that book. So they didn't know how they were supposed to respond or the test results were supposed to help. You could have everything right and still have failure. Young veterinarians aren't getting it. And it's very sad. So there's something called feudal care. Okay. Check this out. 99% of 474 vets, all right, have provided feudal, futile care, all right, which is defined as continuing treatment when relevant goals can no longer be reached. Again, continuing treatment when relevant goals can no longer be reached, i.e., we know as a veterinarian, it's hopeless. We've done everything. It's terminal. It's hopeless. And yet the client still wants you, insists on treating. You know you're not helping. You know it's costing them money. You're trying to use reason, logic, and talk them out of further treatment. And yet they don't want to believe it. I've had it. All of us have had it. I don't think there's a veterinarian on the planet that will say that they've never experienced this. And again, it's all about a frame of mind from our perspective. But young doctors, doctors are, they're getting stressed out knowing that they're delivering continued care for an animal that is probably in pain and suffering and needs to go. And it's really hard. So uh, they feel that they have an obligation to the owner. And it, it's very stressing for not only the veterinarian, but the, the staff, the nurses, the technicians, the reception, everybody involved. And it really is a downer. So that is called, you know, feudal care. It's really getting a lot of attention lately. And it fits so well 
into what's happening nowadays with why veterinarians are depressed. You know, again, I don't see it. I go to work every day and I'm the happiest guy in the world. But I guess I'm lucky because it's it's not that way with everybody. I thought this was really interesting. You know, I like to see stuff on the cutting edge. Check this out. Well, first of all, dogs get lung cancer. All right. Uh, and they also get more so than primary, which they can still get. They don't smoke cigarettes. They do have, obviously, in homes that there may be cigarette smoke. But fortunately, dogs don't get typically commonly primary lung cancer. However, metastatic lung cancer, the two organs that are most likely to suffer from metastatic disease from cancers elsewhere in the body are liver and lungs. So check this out. It's an inhaled immunotherapy tested in dogs with lung tumors, which shrank or stabilized in nearly 40% of pet dogs with metastatic osteosarcoma or melanoma. Two deadly Deadly. Usually we say, again, let's go back to the thing we just talked about. If I have a dog that I've made a diagnosis of one of those two, all right, and we're talking now with the owners about treatment, treatment options, and I take a chest x-ray and there's already metastatic disease, it's a goner. There is, you're just spinning your wheels. You're not going to be able to help this dog. So now having said that, with this new immunotherapy, check this out. So they treat it, it's an inhaled formula of something called interleukin-15. Researchers then believe that with more effective, it would be more effective, more than that 40%, if that interleukin-15 inhalation is also combined with either other immunotherapy or even chemotherapy. So it's interesting, they're learning that when you are delivering medication, even through a bloodstream, like a chemotherapy, it's not really hitting the lungs, but immunotherapy via inhalation, where you're actually, they're breathing it in, actually is showing more success. So that's something that's really, really cool. And I, you know, this is the kind of stuff that, and it shows you how things change to the, for the better. But years ago, if a cat was diagnosed with FIP, feline infectious peritonitis, and showing clinical signs already, it was a goner. If I tell you 100% fatal, I mean 100% fatal. And so at this point, to treat it, to drain it, stay, all the things we used to try, it's futile. It's not going to help. Well, Along comes a new experimental immunotherapy, GS, they call it 441524. They just call it GS44 for short. This is unbelievable. This is an actual cure for FIP. I've seen it done on my own patients now four times, and they go from literally death's bed, skinny, not eating, disintegrating, with their bellies full of fluid, weakening, and people have started the GS44. And it's 84 injections over the course daily, 84 days. And if I tell you these cats, it's back to normal. It's actually a cure to take something that just a few years ago was 100% fatal. And now there's an actual cure is unbelievable. It came from UC Davis. In fact, Dr. Niels Peterson, who was behind this, who is a, a cat doc, was one of my professors at Davis. So I'm telling you, it's amazing. So don't give up on FIP anymore. So when I hear stories like this with this inhalational therapy for an otherwise, you know, fatal, fatal condition, metastatic lung disease is really, really cool. So uh, before we go on, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to answer that question about the, the yellow yucky diarrhea. And uh, so don't go away. We'll be back in a second and um, we'll see you in a minute. Hey everyone, Michelle Byrne here. I was fostering a puppy for a friend this week and I was so glad I had the Diggs Revel Collapsible Dog Crate. This crate is fantastic. 
it ticks all the boxes. And as always with digs, it's safety first. No need to worry about injuries to paws or jaws. It's convenient. It sets up in less than a minute. You can raise and collapse it with one hand. Easy to transport and easy to clean. And you know what? It looks great too, like a piece of furniture. I love it. And if you're traveling this summer, make sure you check out Dig's five-star crash test rated passenger travel carrier. The passenger travel carrier is small enough to fit right under your airline seat, but with plenty of space for your fur babe. And I have a special offer for you. For a limited time, get 15% off your entire Diggs order. Go to digs.pet and use promo code PETLIFE15. That's D-I-G-G-S dot pet with promo code PETLIFE15 to get 15% off your entire order. Order today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And we're back here live on Pet Life Radio and my Instagram Live. Uh, we had a question come in that I want to answer. The reason for a dog having yellowy liquidy stool diarrhea despite a negative fecal test. And um, so there's no parasites. And so usually what happens is when we have that kind of yucky stool, which I said does happen, here's the list of things. It's usually more of a colitis. Of course, I always want to ask, how's the dog doing otherwise if the dog is doing well? and still wants to eat and is acting okay. I mean, that may be a little bit off, but but not really sick. Then it's colitis. And so here's the list. And parasite is only one of them and only usually for younger dogs. It's, I don't put it on the list necessarily for adult dogs. Nerves, stress, anxiety, excitement, diet, it change, eating something he or she shouldn't have. A lot of things there. So when you think about it, you always ask, okay, what may have changed? New people coming in, other people leaving, is there construction going on next door? Was the dog running around and playing super excited at the dog park? I mean, there are so many possibilities. What is making, quote unquote, these dogs tick? So if any of these things are going on, it's not uncommon for them to have uh, bouts of, of this diarrhea. So if, in fact, everything else is good, all right, then what I would recommend is try giving some added fiber to the diet, Bran, cooked oatmeal, canned pumpkin, sweet potato, cooked yam, some, anything like that, even psyllium. And very small amount. For example, for a, a 40, 50-pound dog, it might be a tablespoon, maybe two. For a small dog, it might be a teaspoon, half a teaspoon. If you give too much fiber, they're going to get diarrhea, soft stool. So it's just enough to coat the ingesta, to let it glide through the colon, to give the chance of colon to heal without having to work. Once it heals, then it will do its job. It's going to resorb that last amount of liquid still in, in the ingesta so to firm up the stools. So that's when I have something like that. Now, if that fails, then the next step is see your veterinarian. And there are some really good medications. Uh, one is Flagyl, metronidazole. We use it very commonly. Before Flagyl sort of hit the market as the number one popular medication for colitis. We used to use azulfidine, and I still have cases that aren't responding to flagell or they're needing too much flagell. Flagell is something you got to be careful about. You don't want to, usually it's recommended. You can do a course, say 10 days. You can do one more course after that, another 10 days. After that, you need to rest for about a month 
too much of it can cause other problems. So again, we want to be careful with that, but it usually is fixable. Ultimately, ultimately, uh, if that's failing, the medications have failed, uh, the next step would be to probably do what's called an intestinal biopsy. Do we have some weird inflammatory bowel condition? Uh, maybe a fecal culture. It could be an overgrowth uh, bacteria. Uh, I have to tell you, honestly, most of the cases that we see resolve. Another thing, I, interesting, I just talked to a, a friend of mine who had this problem, lived someplace else. He was going to another veterinarian. And the veterinarian, which again, the first thing they did, they did the fiber, they did the probiotics, good thing to do, and probiotics are good. They did the um, medications, the flagell. And what they finally did that worked was a hydrolyzed protein diet. So when that works, that kind of tells me there may have been some weird food sensitivity and putting on a hydrolyzed protein, it really seemed to help. So again, that's another thing to add to the list. So um, there are many solutions. Most often we employ the solutions because they're easy before anesthetizing and doing intestinal biopsies. And the truth is most of us as general practitioners don't do um, endoscopy, don't have the equipment. We'd have to send it to an internist, which then takes a case and just explodes it in, in expense. So sometimes trying these things do help a lot. Anyway, that would be my recommendations. Uh, usually it's something solved. If it doesn't work, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and I will certainly help you along. Now, oh, this is another good next one. You know, these are all things weather related. And I think it's very important to know many of you are not going to listen to what we tell you. I know that for a fact. And that is, you're not going to keep your pets rested during the middle of the day. You're going to take them out for that long walk. You're going to say, oh, hey, look outside. Eh, it's not that hot. We're going to go take our hike. And you're going to be out, out hiking in, uh, in Runyon for who knows how long. And your pets are going to get overheated. And especially if you have the bulldogs, the short-faced dogs, they are really going to get overheated and fast. And so you're going to come back from a walk and that dog's, <laughs> I mean, literally three hours. And you maybe take his temperature if you were smart and you see it's over 103, 104 even. So how do you cool your pets down? What should you do? Don't panic, first of all, unless they really get bad. I mean, if it's 105 or six, you got to get them to a vet right away. But first of all, the best thing is don't leave your pet in the park car, no matter what. Don't do hiking in the middle of the day and don't do it too long and make sure you have water with you. Make sure that you have plenty of stops and rest in shade. But Again, despite all these warnings that we give people every single year, we see cases of overheated, of, of heat prostration. It's a big problem. Anyway, the old school of icing, putting ice in them, putting them in a cold water bath, we do not recommend or do that anymore. You want to wet them down with just regular, not warm water, but just regular tap water, not cold water. And don't get them stopping wet. You could still put a little bit of alcohol on the pads, the foot pads, because it, it absorbs. The whole idea is you don't want to bring the heat back down too quickly. You want to do it nice and slowly. And as soon as it starts coming down a little bit, you're on the right path. Don't speed things up. Don't try to speed things up. And um, the way to prevent it, simple. Number one, again, don't exercise or run in the middle of a hot day. If you're going to leave them outside, they have to have unrestricted access to shade. They should have fresh water at all times. Make sure you somehow anchor the water bowl if you have to so it doesn't tip over. And uh, if you can and you have a nice air-conditioned home, bring them into the air-conditioned home or even a home with a fan. And, um, and oh, also, don't shave them down. You think you're doing a service. You have that thick-coated dog, and you're going to shave them. What you're doing is you are now allowing access to that heat even easier than having to go through that thick coat. 
And that thick coat is the thermos. It, it, it thermoregulates. So not only does it keep them warm during the winter, but it also keeps them cool during the summer. Remember, in a thermos, you put in hot water, it keeps it hot. You put in cold water, it keeps it cold. That's what a healthy coat does. Mind you, healthy coat. It does keep them cool during the summer. So don't shave them down. Now, if that coat is so severely matted and it's no longer functioning as a good thermos, then yes, you have to shave them down, but gotta be really careful. White dogs, white cats, be careful. They can get skin cancer. They can get sunburn. So again, it's all a matter of being smart. If you have to get like a baby 50 block spray that you can put on their bellies, especially dogs that like lying on their backs. If they're lying on their backs in the sunshine, you got to be careful because they will burn. And more heat stuff. You got to be careful of hot pavement and garden hoses. What, what do you mean by garden hose? Because what happens? So you're going to give them some to drink right? Or you're going to cool them down and you have a garden hose that's been sitting in the sun. You turn the water on. What that, that first batch of water that would have been sitting in the length of the hose, how hot is that going to be? That's going to be damn hot. So you, what you want to do is turn the water on first, let it run for you know, a minute or so until you can feel the water and it's the regular tap water. Then you can hose them down. Pads. And nothing to remember about pads. Even if you're a smart and you say, I'm not going to walk my dog during the middle of the heat, but I'm going to do it in the evening. Yes, that's great. But guess what? The heat in asphalt, all right, that blacktop is retained for hours after the sun goes down. So even though it's cooler in the outside, that pavement is still really hot. So think about little, little booties. You can put things on your dog's feet, and that will help things a lot as well. And uh, last thing, because we're running out of time. Again, oh, I love talking. All right. Here's a good one. Wild mushrooms. You know, there's a guy in my neighborhood, and I don't know what it is with his grass, but he grows these wild mushrooms. Dogs will eat, some dogs will eat anything. And you got to be really careful. Many of these wild mushrooms are extremely toxic. They can kill. And so it's kind of really, really just know that it is a problem. So if you have animals that like to eat those mushrooms, pull them away. Do not let them attack those mushrooms. Looking for signs of vomiting, dizziness, diarrhea, muscle tremors, etc., muscle stiffness, all of the above can be because there are neurotoxins in these mushrooms. And as I said, there was a family years ago, they were here visiting from another country, didn't know they were out hiking, saw these mushrooms, how great, let's eat them, not knowing that we grow these wild mushrooms. It was parents and two kids all dead. They all found them dead from eating the mushrooms. So be really, really, really careful. All right. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining me here on Pet Life Radio and on Instagram Live. Once again, if you have any questions, you could always reach out to me. Easy, easy. Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And I will get these questions and answer here on IG. I know many of you have. Send me a message, a private message. I've tried to get many of you here during the show. But if I don't reach or if you have something that is lengthy or you didn't want to talk about it on the show, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you uh, as the best I can. If nothing else, you know, when you have these tough cases, there's so much to navigate through. There are many options that we get. And um, if nothing else, I can fill my 38 plus years of experience in there and see if I can uh, help you out a little bit, at least guide you. And again, many of the tests that you doctors want to run, and I'm not going to get another social comment right now, though I will be happy to at another time, I believe run unnecessary tests and run them too often. And it just boggles my mind. So there are legitimate tests that need to be run. And depending on the dog and how bad or the pet and how bad this pet is, there are ways to you know grade these tests 
as far as what would be the best test now to start. Let's wait for that one because you might get your answer right there. You don't have to do any more tests. And if you don't, let's go to the second tier. If you don't, let's get the third tier. But what these many vets are doing, they're running all the tiers at once. So you're paying for exorbitant amounts of money for tests that were totally unnecessary. So I get really, really perturbed about this, as you can tell. So uh, anyway, I'm there. So call me anytime. All right. Thank you all for uh, joining me. We'll see you here next week. Mark, are we here next week? Mark's not here. Uh, so uh, we're not going to be here on Pet Life Radio. I will be here on um, Instagram. So uh, we will see you here next week. Uh, save up your questions and we'll talk next week. And for all of you again, once again, have a great day as well. And for the fathers out there, happy Father's Day, both to my Instagram Live and Pet Life Radio audience. We will see you here next week. We'll see you here in two. Have a good week, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.